Uh, Let me offer one more prayer for God's word to our hearts this morning. Father, thank you for the privilege that it is ours to not only have a copy of your word in our language, but also to have the privilege to preach with liberty, without fear of persecution, because of the freedom we enjoy in this great nation. I pray you would continue to preserve that freedom for us, that we might proclaim the good news of the gospel, make disciples without hindrance. We ask now your blessing on the preacher and those who hear your word, that we might be hearers and doers of the word according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember when I was a very young single man working in, as a computer technician down in South Florida, a Christian friend of mine shared an eye-opening conversation with me which by asking a series of simple but progressive and profound questions. It went something like this, Michael, how long do you plan to be in this computer repair business? And I said, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 years. And then he said, and then what? I said, I don't know, I guess I'll retire and live near the beach and play golf and travel the world. He said, wow, that sounds wonderful. I hope you get to do that. And then he said, but then what? And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, is that all there is to life? I mean, you get an education, you work in your career for a few decades, you raise your family, you retire, you live on the beach, you play golf and travel the world. Is that it? You see, I never really thought about how my life being one puzzle piece fits into the big world, which is the rest of the puzzle. Up until that day, I'd never fully really thought deeply about my life's purpose other than for my own personal goals and dreams. That was a wake-up call for me. That conversation helped to change the whole trajectory of my life. So what about you? Have you ever thought about the purpose of your own lives beyond your own goals or dreams for your own family? The great author, Ernest Hemingway, wrote, Life is just a dirty trick, a short journey from nothingness to nothingness. Do you feel the hopelessness in Hemingway's thoughts? Philosopher and abolitionist Henry David Thoreau was no better. He said this, The mass of men live lives of quiet desperation. If we were even moderately self-aware, we would honestly admit we have asked ourselves this question on more than one occasion. What is the purpose of my life? What's the purpose of anybody's life? Sometimes the simplest questions of life are the most profound and the hardest to answer. 
One of the first persons to write extensively about this question was King Solomon of ancient Israel. The Bible says that he was the wisest and richest man who ever lived. And here's what he said about his own pursuit of wisdom and understanding and purpose and meaning. In chapter 1 of the book of Ecclesiastes, found in the Old Testament of the Bible, verse 16 says this, Solomon writing, he says, I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. And then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. End quote. Being the richest man, Solomon had it all. Being a curious and adventurous man, he tried it all. But he soon found out that nothing his money could buy would truly satisfy his inner being. That is, the soul. Listen to King Solomon's lament about his life. He says, meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now keep in mind that this was coming from a man who had more wealth than Jeff Bezos and Warren Buffett combined. He had more women than most men dare to dream about. Which makes me question his wisdom in the first place, but anyway. Solomon had more horses and houses than any five Hollywood A-listers put together. Now look at chapter 2, verses 4 and 6. He says this, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. King Solomon was an incredible builder. And he indulged himself because he had all the wisdom and finances and influence that he needed to do whatever he wanted to do. King Solomon had great power and influence, and he had more power and influence than any modern leader of our day, say, for example, of China, Germany, United States, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, combined. He had more and greater power and influence than these modern leaders of these great nations. So think about it. Solomon had money, sex, possessions, power, and influence. Those are the big five, right? And still, for him, he concluded everything was meaningless. Everything. Listen to Solomon's own words, also found in chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. He says, I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well. The delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. 
My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, and, and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now keep in mind that phrase, under the sun. It's a phrase often repeated by Solomon in Ecclesiastes. It's a way of describing life on planet Earth in natural and ordinary terms. In other words, life on planet Earth is really meaningless without the supernatural, without the extraordinary influence of Creator God. This is the case that King Solomon is making in the first few chapters of his book, Ecclesiastes. Meaningful purpose in life is not found in the quantity nor in the quality of our possessions. It is not found in one's social position, influence, or power. And it is not found in the quality or quantity of your sex life. And that is not to say that any of these things in and of themselves are bad. In fact, I believe that they are all wonderful gifts of God. Listen, I grew up in a poor country of Jamaica. I know what it is to be poor, but I also know what it is to be wealthy. And I like the wealthy part better. Okay? Solomon, so it's not to say that the possessions we have or the power and influence we have are bad. They're, those are not bad things in and of themselves. But Solomon would argue and has indeed argued that all of these gifts are meaningless without a personal knowledge of the gift giver and his purposes for our lives. If there was ever a person who could, he could have found purpose in life in any and all of these gifts, trust me, King Solomon would have found it. Because nobody had more of what this life has to offer than Solomon had. And yet he confessed that he came up empty. But then Solomon began to put things in proper perspective when he concluded or he included God in his equation. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. He says, I have seen the burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has chosen also to set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for me than, or for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is a gift of God. And then he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing will be taken from it. And God does it so that men will revere him. Listen, did you notice that phrase, God has set eternity in our hearts? Do you know what that means? It means that when God made us, he made us with a longing for eternity. That's why so many of us try to so hard to extend the quality and the quantity of our lives. I mean, we diet and, and, and we take vitamins 
and we exercise and, right? We do all that stuff because we want to extend the quantity and the quality of our lives. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that God made us with a desire to live forever. And that's why temporal things, temporal things like money, power, influence, and sex never completely satisfy or define for us our divine purpose. But they are meant to help us get a taste for what's really real and what is eternal. In other words, when you enjoy the pleasures of a sexual relationship with your spouse, that pleasurable experience is to, is to lead you and to, to help you long for the, the ecstasy that is a relationship with God. When you taste the most delicious food like I did with Elder Doug last night, we went out on a double date, our wives and I, and us, uh, he and I and, and our wives, we went out on this double date and we uh, went to P.F. Chang's and uh, man, we ate some good food last night, it was awesome. And as we were licking our fingers and uh, trying not to, you know, disturb the neighbors next to us, uh, that experience of all those tastes and our taste buds exploding in our palate is to help us and to lead us to an experience in tasting the goodness and the greatness of God. That's why the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And blessed is the man who finds God. You see, all of the, the, the wonderful experiences and gifts of God that we have in this life are to whet our appetites for the greater reality, which is God and our eternal existence with him. These incredible gifts are meant to lead us to the gift giver who truly satisfies and fills us with meaningful and eternal purpose for our lives. Even the bad things that happen to us. If we know the creator God, they are meaningful. They're not without purpose. And so, Jessica's mom, when you get that cancer and you have to go through this and there's pain and tears and fear, it's not without purpose for the one who knows the creator God. When you lose that job, or a death of a child comes into your life. It is not without purpose. And see, if you don't know the creator God, then it's, you have no hope and you have nowhere to turn. But with God in your life, there is a meaning and a purpose for everything that he allows to come into our lives. Everything. Even the pain and the trial. And that's why in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1 and 7, Solomon says this. He says, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Remember your creator before the dust returns to the ground it came from and the spirit returns to God who gave it. You see, Solomon had observed in his own life how the material gifts of God had distracted him rather than lead him to the amazing love and grace of God. And he had to repent from that. So the question is, how is it with you? Do the gracious 
material gifts of God in your life whet your appetite for him and the things of eternity? Or do they create a craving for more of the same finite stuff of earth? Don't get confused when God blesses you financially. It is not just to consume all the things that you can consume with those things. Again, it is a, a signal to you that his blessing and favor is upon you, but you should use those things to shoot for the higher goal, which is to be fully satisfied in him. To be fully focused on his purpose, even for the blessings that have come into your life. I know many very, very wealthy people, super rich people, people that have their own planes and several houses and boats and all that stuff. And I was with one the other day, last week in the meeting, and, and I was asking him about his house in, in Florida. He has a vacation house in Florida. He has a vacation house in Colorado. And I said, did, the, did you fix your house that was in Florida that was messed up by the hurricane? He goes, oh, yeah, I got it fixed. I said, did you get to go to Florida and spend a little time there over the holidays? He says, yes. He says, but you know what? My wife and I don't really use this house that much for ourselves. But he says we... We have so many people who can't afford a place like this, and we use it to, make a bl to bless other people. So we constantly have friends and, fa and family all over the country who just book a week and come and stay in our place for free. It's like a, a, ho a free hotel for them. We have ministry leaders, people who don't make much money in ministry, and we bless them and give them a week there. See, they've discovered, in part, why God has blessed them with the ability to have three houses. I mean, you, you can only live in one at a time, right? <laughs> but they use it to be a blessing to others who can't afford to have that getaway as they can. That's just one example of how when you know the Creator God and the purpose and the reason why He's allowed more to come into your life than you can use and handle yourself is to be a blessing to others. And so, how do you handle the gifts of God? How do you see the gifts of God in your life? Does it cause you to crave more of those things for yourself? To be a consumer, an ultimate consumer? Or do you see that as an opportunity to get to know God and to be satisfied in Him and to say, God, why would you bless me so? How do you want me to use this blessing for your kingdom and to be a blessing to others? In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, our Lord Jesus said this he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you as well, or be given to you as well. See, God knows our needs. He knows your needs. He, he knows all about your needs and your wants. And we know that those are not usually the same. <laughs> right? God promises to provide for all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, but Sometimes we want stuff that we don't really need. And he doesn't promise to provide the wants, but he does promise to provide all the needs. And God also knows that he can only bless so many people with, or entrust so many people with super wealth. Do you know that it's harder to be wealthy than it is to be poor? God knows that he can't trust some of us with great wealth. Yeah. Yeah. Because he knows our hearts. He knows our inclinations, our proclivities. And so he says, that's not for you. I can bless this person with it because they can be a steward of it. 
but I can't bless you. And yet the one who doesn't have it is the one that craves it the most. And what you ought to be focused is, in on is getting to know God, seeking him first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then he says, all these other things I will, be give, will be given to you. And so God knows that our greatest need is to know him and to walk in his ways. And so he sent Jesus to tell us to prioritize our needs, to seek first the spiritual, and then God will be sure to provide every material need that you and I have. I tell my children sometimes when they ask me, they say, Dad, how do you know so many uh, rich people? And, and, um, and boy, we are so blessed to know some people like that. And I said, no, here's the deal. God knew that he wasn't uh, going to trust me with super wealth, but he did trust me with people who have it because he knew I could steward those relationships. Not everybody could be a friend to the wealthy. And, um, and so I, can, I don't have to own everything. I tell my kids this. I said, you don't have to own everything. You just need to know people who own everything. <laughs> but... There is such a thing as seeking first God's kingdom and going after him, knowing him, being satisfied in him. And when you're satisfied in him, he will provide for you all the other stuff of life. Listen, God made each one of us for a divine and a unique purpose. And that's why nobody shares your DNA. Did you know that? Nobody shares your exact DNA. Nobody shares, it's like your fingerprint. Nobody has the exact same fingerprint that you have. They might share your skin color. They might share your eye color or your ethnicity. You might be in the same height. You might have a doppelganger. They say everybody's got a doppelganger. That's a German word for somebody that looks just like you. But your God-given purpose is as unique as your DNA and your fingerprint. Do you remember 17 years ago, California pastor Rick Warren wrote a book, now famous, titled The Purpose Driven Life. That book struck a chord across the nation. Now he wrote it for pastors and their church members. But as it turned out, that book went viral around the world. It is now translated into many, many languages. The book topped the Wall Street Journal bestseller charts, the Publishers Weekly charts, and it was on the New York Times bestseller list for 90 weeks. 90 weeks. Think about that. It's almost two years on the New York Times bestseller list. Few books other than the Bible has had such success. It's now over 30 million copies and counting in print. Now to put this in perspective, the average Christian book published by Christian publishers sells about 5,000 copies or less. But The Purpose Driven Life sold 30 million. Why? Because most people want to know, what is my purpose? Why was I put here on this green planet? What am I here for? Pastor Rick gives five answers to the questions, and then we'll close. Number one, you and I were planned for God's purpose. We were planned for God's, sorry, God's pleasure. 
We were planned for God's pleasure. God made us to worship and adore him. Did you know that? You might be thinking to yourself like Brad Pitt, the famous Hollywood star. You know what he said? And Oprah said something just like this. They said, God's an egomaniac and I don't want to worship a God like that. Well, the truth is, if and when your eyes are open to the reality of God, his absolute majesty and glory and splendor, his power and righteousness, his amazing love and mercy and grace, when your eyes are open to that reality, you will absolutely want to worship a God like that. Because you will never, you'll never be fully fulfilled in worshiping anything or any other person. You see, because we're all made to worship him, the only question is what or who will we worship? We're all, God made us to worship something or someone. And that's why so many people run after the material. They're trying to stuff that, that eternal God-shaped hole in their hearts with all this other stuff, serial, sexual relationships and money and fame and power and cars and houses and, and they're stuffing it all in. And after they get it all, they come up empty, just like Solomon. Because God has made us with eternity in our hearts and only he, the eternal God, can fill that void that he has put in our hearts for himself. So number one, God has made us and planned us for his own pleasure, and that is to worship him. Number two, you and I were formed for God's family. God made us to fellowship with each other. That's why church life is so important for the believer. True believers enjoy hanging out with other true believers. There is great strength in numbers and honest, loving relationships. Number three, you and I were created to become like Christ. God made us to become like Christ. That's another way of describing discipleship. Those who put their faith and trust in Christ, believing that he is God in the flesh and savior of their souls, they have been given the ability to become more like Christ in how we think, in how we speak, and how we live. And that happens in voluntary interpersonal relationships where we challenge each other to live lives of repentance and full obedience to Christ's commands. When that happens, it's a testament to the incredible work of the Holy Spirit that is going on in every true believer's life. Number four, you and I were shaped for serving God. We were shaped for service. Every believer is to be a minister. Did you know that? Remember I told you that you were uniquely created. Well, when God created you, he not only gave you a unique fingerprint and a unique DNA, but he also gave you a unique personality and set of spiritual gifts. And it's up to you to find out what they are and then to employ them in his church and at your job for his glory and for the good of those you serve. And when you're doing that, when you are doing what God made you to do, like Eric Little of Chariots of Fire, you will say, I feel God's pleasure. See, when you're, you, when you're doing, you ever met somebody who said, I never worked a day in my life. That's a person who has discovered what they are made for. And they're doing it and it doesn't feel like work because 
they are, they're in the flow of God's divine purpose for their lives. And so every person has, to, has been given this gift, and we've got to figure out what it is and then begin to use it both in the church and in our place of employment. And when we do that, it'll, we'll feel the pleasure of God. Number five, and finally, you and I were made for a mission. We were made for a mission. Every person has been tasked with the mission of God, which is to know God and to make him known. It is to go into all the world to preach the gospel, making disciples, teaching men, women, and children to obey the commands of Christ. Somebody, just today during our meet and greet time, somebody said, hey, pastor, when are you guys going back to Africa? I think God wants me to go to Africa with you this year. I wish every one of us would have the experience to go on a mission trip because it'll transform your life. And so I told her, I said, hey, we're going probably, Lord willing, in, uh, in, in August of this year. We'll be back in Tanzania. Uh, and we hope to put in that new well where the people can get fresh, clean water. And uh, we've raised the money for that. And uh, we've got a contractor that's contracted to do it. It's rainy season now. We've got to wait till the rainy season is over. And then we're going to go and help them install that well and continue to help encourage and those church planters that are there uh, and, um, and just be an encouragement and a blessing to them. We all have a purpose and we all have to be on mission with God. And so this is the purpose-filled life that God has called you and I to live, to be on mission with him for his glory and for the good of our world. And so final question is, are you in? Are you in? Let's go after the purpose for which God has made us. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Let's remain seated for just a moment. Have you found your purpose in life today? Do you know why God has put you on this planet? Well, it begins with First of all, knowing him, we call that salvation. Where you come to grips with the fact that you're not perfect and your imperfections have offended God. Those imperfections are sins, the Bible says. We have sinned against the holy God and therefore we need to be forgiven by that holy God. And he's made forgiveness possible through the death of his son, You've heard the elements of the gospel in communion this morning. Jesus Christ, his own body was broken and bruised and his blood was shed on that cross so that we might have forgiveness of sins. And we might have a home in heaven. And we might have a relationship restored with the God who created us. And that happens when we put our faith and trust in Christ. And then God calls us to take the next step of obedience and that is to be baptized. And when we take baptism, we begin to discern God's work in our lives. And we begin to discern his purpose for us. And then there's church membership where you join with a local fellowship and say, yes, I want to pledge my life to know you and to be known by you and to, to be discipled in the faith to learn to obey the commands of Christ and to be shaped 
by those commands, and in so doing, we become more like Christ. Have you found your purpose? Here's what I want you to do. Take your welcome card in the bulletin. There's a little welcome card in there. I'd like everyone to take it out and just fill it in. Members and non-members alike, just fill it in. Let us know how we can help you find God's purpose for your life, how we can pray for you. You'll notice on the back of that slip, there's a place where you can check a box. And we'll be sure to reach out to you if you share with us your contact information. Your info is securely stored on our online database, and we do not sell or share any info with third parties. And then after you fill that out, you just hand it to an usher as you're on your way out the door. And we'll collect those, and we'll reach out to you and, and help you then begin to discover what is God's purpose for your life. It is salvation, is it baptism, is it church membership, is it beyond that? Discovering your spiritual gifts, finding a place to serve, to get plugged in. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege that is ours to preach your word and to hear your word preached. Now, God, I pray that you would help us to take your word and apply it to our lives. Show us our next steps. What do we need to do next? What's the next step to take? God, help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. We pray your blessing over our lives as we seek to obey you, finding our purpose and fulfilling it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Light goes, please.